2: is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve oh. Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up close to the end zone. Olson touchdown!
0: Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He it on three. One, two, three. three! He it!
1: And welcome to another episode of The Roar Podcast, brought to you by BlueWire. My name is Billy Marshall, and today, to help me review Carolina's 2021 draft class, we are joined by the one and only Emery Hunt. He does an excellent job covering the draft. He is the owner of Football Game Plan, and he also does draft work for CBS Sports
2: HQ. Emery, how are you? I'm doing fine, Billy. I appreciate you having me on the show.
1: Yeah, and you know, you and I have been, you know, we've gone through Twitter, uh, we've met through it, and I think we've had a ton of conversations for so many years. So this is the first time I think you and I are speaking one on one, and I value you your opinion so much because I definitely know that you put in the work. Um, If any of you haven't had a chance yet, it's not too late. You can still order his draft guide, um, where you can find it on his uh, Twitter. Uh, page, you page got a football game plan. Um, it's somewhere on there. But, you know, Emory, this draft class uh, for Carolina and before I actually get into the draft class, there is one thing that I kind of want to address because I've been seeing it percolate um, in different areas as far as like reviewing Carolina's draft and I would argue that maybe 75 to 80% of our listeners and maybe 65 to 70% of Panther fans in general would agree that Justin Fields is a better player and passer than Sam Darnold. I don't think you'll be one, have a debate about that, but I think in your eyes, do you think it's possible to separate the trade for Sam Darnold and the approach Carolina took in the draft?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Again, once they let it be known that they – well, when they traded all those assets for uh, Sam Darnold, it kind of let it be known that they were going to be out of the QB market in the first round. Mm -hmm. Um, And they still feel comfortable with, you know, P.J. Walker, who stepped in and started a game and won a game for him last year. Um, They still have a young player in Will Greer. So they felt as though, you know, they can you know hold court at quarterback. So it would have been – a waste of draft capital had they chosen Justin Fields there, despite knowing he is the better player. Um, mm-hmm. Like if I was a Giants fans. I would be more upset at them passing on Justin Fields as opposed to, you know, the Panthers passing on him. You know, the Panthers just gave up you know, a, a lot of picks for Sam Darnold. And they also said, they're going to pick up, you know, his fifth year option. So you knew they wasn't taking a quarterback regardless of who was there.
1: Yeah. I think uh, it, it, you certainly makes a lot of great points. Like if what Carolina did was take the approach that Denver or the Giants took Denver, just, they just invested a sixth round pick in Teddy Bridgewater and the Giants, again, they didn't really do anything. So I I certainly understand, you know, how some people take it. I just feel like, um, and again, you don't have to agree um, the investment that they made into Sam Darnold with all those picks is essentially a late first rounder. And, uh, I mean, this team just looking coming into this draft, it did not, it, it was not a good roster. And, but I think that this weekend, it really helped them kind of consist continually build their roster and move it forward. And I want to f- start off with JC Horn. And, um, you know, early last week before the draft, we started hearing smoke about JC Horn potentially being the first defensive player. And there were some rumors that Carolina could be interested. Um, so that's kind of like when I first knew, like, this is a real possibility. But why don't we, you, we get your thoughts on just J.C. Horn and his fit into the NFL?
2: No, he's exactly what they want at the position. He's athletic. He's aggressive. He can tackle. He has ball skills. He can play press. You know, he does a good job in driving on the ball. Uh, So his closing speed to the ball and to the receiver is is impressive. So everything you like about the cornerback position, he can do it and do it really well. So it's a no brainer. Again, if you're talking about there's like four corners in this draft that if you told me you you were going to go with this guy over that guy, I wouldn't have argued with you because they, they all have those same qualities to, to really, you know, pressure the ball, play press, you know, run with anybody on the field, and turn the ball over. So, I, I mean, Horn, to me, was a slam dunk.
1: Yeah, I certainly agree. And I've, I've seen, again, some post hoc analysis discussing that you know, Carolina is a zone-heavy team, and they were last year, but I think that was just because of the personnel. Uh, if any anyone watched Baylor uh, under Phil Snow um, in from 2017-2019, they, they like to play a lot of men and get their guys on the line of scrimmage to really disrupt. And while I also have a very high opinion on – Patrick Sertan, I just felt that the upside with Horn is a lot greater. Um, so let's go into day two. And, and this is uh, kind of where Carolina really established their mark, in my opinion. And again, they didn't really have many picks going into it. They had, I think, seven. And they might have, might have been eight after the Bridgewater trade. But um, a couple trade downs, and they were able to land uh, a guy that I really liked, LSU wide receiver, Terrace Marshall. He's, I think, the youngest, one of the youngest prospects in this class. Um, still only 20 years old. I mean, his analytics look good. I know the fantasy community likes him, likes his projections. What do you see from him on the field?
2: I think he's a, a really good, you know, run after catch guy. It's kind of in the mold of, of Justin Jefferson in, in the sense that, you know, once he gets the ball in his hands, he's looking to score. And so those type of receivers are always valuable because they tend to help out your offense, help your quarterback out. You don't have to really scheme things up for him to get deep down the field. You know, he can take one of those little short passes or a little short intermediate route and and take that thing to the house. So his injury concerns are, you know, he's always banged up. It was not really serious. It was just something that was just always nagging with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he can overcome that, that'll be a huge plus for, Carolina, but man, he's definitely you know one of these guys that you want with the ball in his hands, and and it just helps round out that offense because you you assumed that he's going to be the number three option in the passing game, and because he's number three and he has the skills of a number one, that's going to be the the optimal matchup on on game day when you consider teams don't normally have three excellent cover corners. There's always one drop off, and I'm pretty sure they're going to try to match up. Uh, Marshall on that, that drop-off and, and let him do work.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was a number three in their offense the year they won the national title, I believe. They had uh, Jefferson and Jamar Chase and obviously we know Joe Brady was the coordinator um, for that unit. And you know, the next two picks on day three, um, one of them was a small trade-up for left tackle prospect Brady Christensen. I don't know if he's going to play there in the NFL at the arm length is a little bit of a concern uh, and they also were able to grab uh, Tommy Trimble in the late in the third round uh, before they traded back uh, a third time um, with Houston but uh, l- let me get your thoughts here on these two players they took in the third round uh, again I'm personally uh, a little more optimistic on Christensen I know the short arms can scare people but where do you see
2: him he was my number three offensive tackle uh, so I had a, a high grade on Christensen when you watch BYU everyone focused on Zach Wilson, but they missed the fact that there were three NFL offensive linemen right there up front doing a great job keeping him well protected. And Christensen was just stonewalling guys. And when you watch the biggest games, you know, I watch the UCF game. They have athletes on the on their D line. Coast Carolina, we know, has a guy that got drafted in Teron Jackson with the Eagles. A lot of tech always has some dogs up front. Milton Williams gets drafted by the Eagles. So you're watching him go against pro competition. And um, you know, good athletes, and he was able to hold his own. I, I just think that his footwork and his hand usage was outstanding. I mean, this dude—he was—he was impressive on tape. So the fact that he, you know, fell to the third round to me is just a huge value pick for Carolina. And and Tremble was my number one H back. So you know, I think his upside is is tremendous because he every time he touched the ball at Notre Dame, you saw the explosiveness, you saw the potential. This dude could be a Jordan Reed type. Uh, at the next level and he wasn't utilized like one and I think he gives Carolina a legitimate option um, at that tight end position because you can put him on a move he's a great blocker and um, once he has the ball in his hands he he turns into almost like a running back and with how he's able to run through um, you know potential tacklers and, and run by people I, I just think that was a one of the more underrated prospects in the draft class and it was just amazing that so far, going into round three, Carolina was just knocking things out the park with their picks.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that the move tight end portion for Trumbull because um, John mentioned on one of our recent episodes that I think he heard from someone on the team that they see him similarly to Richie Brockle. Um, you know, he was more of that move tight end uh, for this team. Yeah, I think he played in the mid-2000s and played a couple of seasons with Cam Newton. And and I think if the, what we used to call it in Carolina is like the Richie Brockle role, which again, um, H-back, sometimes he said that was a, a lines of a fullback, similar to I guess what Chris Cooley did for Washington for um, a few seasons, if anyone remembers him. <laughs> um, but let me just, before we wrap up here on day two of the draft, what do you think of their approach, accumulating picks and attacking these positions? Would there have
2: been anything different that you would have done? No, not one bit. I mean, you think about when you look at the draft and look at, you know, rosters, you have to look at it in a two year time frame. So you you look at what they've added juxtaposed to what they drafted last year. And it's mm-hmm. like, all right, so I'm starting to see things, how it's fitting. You know, you got guys who drafted last year that were really solid. And now those guys will be, you know, more acclimated to the system. You know, I was a big fan of Troy Pride when he came out of Notre Dame. And you add more players to the secondary and you expect Pride and Chin to really take that next step. Um, And it starts to come together. Derek Brown was a first-round pick. You expect him to, you know, take the next step. And so now you add these talented guys and it's really starting to, you know, formulate a solid two deep. And I think that's just exciting to see. When it all plays out, I, I think a lot of times folks look at the draft in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the one year. But it's really a, a two to three year process of accumulation of talent and what the roster was, you know, had talented pieces. But now I think it has gone from, you know, talented pieces to what is now can be considered a talented roster, because I, I love the two deep right now for Carolina.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned that. And and this is the approach they took in free agency. They didn't really go out there and sign anyone to a big long-term deal. Um, You know, Hassan Reddick, Morgan Fox, um, those guys, A.J. Boye, they were signed to like one or two-year deals. So it kind of just helps, you know, having the established veterans on the roster and adding these rookies that you've taken uh, day one and day two um, to really just push for competition. Now, certainly you hope that Marshall and Horn are day one starters, and I think they will be. Uh, but a Tremble or a Christensen, just adding to that competition, that's exactly what you want, especially for a young team.
2: Yeah, and especially when you think about, uh, you know, where you you want to – you made a trade for Sam Darnold. Um, and you want to make sure you get the most out of – most return for that investment. So it makes sense to, you know, stockpile stuff on offense. You could have done the approach of keeping Teddy Bridgewater – and doing the same thing, you know? So it just kind of, it's no, no matter which way they played it, you know, with, with at quarterback, they still were able to, you know, make the offense better, even though I don't think the offense was a problem more so than the play calling, in my opinion, especially inside the red zone. Uh, but adding weapons around Sam Darnold is a much better makeup here than it was in New York. So you should be able to see if he can play now, the question for Darno is not talent. This dude can't stay healthy. So you hope that he can stay out there for a full 17 game season. Cause what I noticed out here was, you know, this was a guy that started to build momentum in a positive direction and then he gets hurt. So now you have to reset and then he'll have to, you know, start back again. And just was one thing after another. So he never really was able to string together a full season and work toward that progress like you see normal rookie quarterbacks and second year players do. It was always having to hit reset because of injury. So now, what, what looks to be a much better offensive line you know, three talented wide receivers, some good move pieces, you know, at tight end and H back, um, and a, and a dynamic run game, a healthy Christian McCaffrey. It should be set up for him to step in and uh, let's see if he could reach that potential otherwise. You know next year with a better roster, you'll be looking at the quarterback market if you know, whatever that is in 2022. Yeah,
1: certainly. And I'll ask you again about Darnold, um, after we go over some of these uh, late round picks because I know you do cover uh both of New York teams living up there in the, the tri state area. Um, let's go to the fourth and fifth round, and again, Carolina trades back fourth time. Uh, And they were able to land Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard. Um, I was a huge fan of him in 2019. And and even during the phone call, Matt Rule mentioned how much of a pain he was. And, you know, his Baylor teams had so much trouble stopping him. He just looks so much more explosive. And I think last year, I mean, it was just so much impacted with COVID um, and I think him and Gundy had some issues off the field or whatever. And then obviously I think he had some ankle problems, uh, but I'm a pretty big fan of him personally. I think that when Carolina lost Mike Davis, who did really well, um, replacing McCaffrey, uh, this made sense taking a chance on a running back in the fourth round. This is an area of the draft where, um, you know, I like to kind of invest in that position.
2: I mean, it adds more explosiveness. You think about Hubbard, you think about Trent Cannon, you know, those are guys that could really run. And so adding someone like Hubbard that, you know, he does, I don't think Hubbard is the type of guy that needs volume. He won't get volume anyway with McCaffrey out there healthy. Uh, but the fact of the matter is you don't lose much when you have to give McCaffrey a breather. You got a guy like Hubbard that has carried the load, that knows what it takes to be a starting tailback, but also has that explosive home run hitting speed that McCaffrey has, and uh, mm-hmm. you know now you can get creative with how you utilize him in the backfield. You may even see both in the backfield at the same time. You know, so it just helps them out. You know, at worst, it can help out their return game uh, if they want to throw two kickoff returners back there with Cannon and Hubbard. But you know, you you do gain a lot of flexibility um, and versatility with a guy like Chuba Hubbard. He may not be the uh, the back that he that you know he was projected to be. But in a in a complementary role, uh, especially in this situation, um, I think he could thrive.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, let's go to the fifth round. They took two players. Um, my favorite player that they took in the draft: Iowa defensive tackle uh, Davion Nixon. Uh, Carolina really didn't have like a three tech on the roster. Morgan Fox, I guess, is one guy. Uh, but if you just look at their other defensive tackles, like Derek Brown, Davion are. Brave John Roy and Daquan Jones are more like your traditional like one tech uh, run stuffers and that's no slight against them they're good players um, but f- they needed more pass rush from the interior and, and I think that um, Nixon provides that and the other player they took in the fifth round was um, Keith Taylor the cornerback from Washington he's a really long lanky guy uh, doesn't really have the arm length, but he comes from a system where they do a lot of press coverage. I, I sort of saw him a little similarly to Troy Pride. Um, I think there might be some differences, but um, uh, what'd you think about both of these fifth round
2: picks? Yeah, Nixon was my number one defensive tackle. Uh, ahead of Barmore, huh? ahead of Barmore. Yeah. Oh, you wow. Know, okay. Um, I think, I think when, when, when folks watch Bama, you know, they kind of get the Bama bump. Um, <laughs> But, you know, this, Bama, you, you know, like, me and a coaching friend always talk about this. Like, you know, there are no 18- and 19-year-olds in the NFL. And so when you get some Bama guys that go up against guys that are of the same strength level, then talent has to, you know, take over. And sometimes these guys just don't be as talented as it is made out to be. They just be better than the dudes they're going up against in college. Um, but, that, but that's not a knock on Barmore. Nixon was just outstanding on tape, you know, and consistently making, you know, the, the guard look foolish. He's able to get off blocks. He's quick off the ball. He's so disruptive. And I think when you watch someone that's consistently doing uh, what he's great at, it kind of just stands out clearly on tape. You know, you don't have to watch to find where he's able to win or where he's able to have success. It finds you. And so you know, getting him in the fifth round, obviously he dropped for whatever reason, but getting him in the fifth round was a steal. And, and Taylor is another one of these guys. You, you can always sell me on, uh, you know, sight unseen. You could sell me on a Washington defensive back or a San Diego State defensive back. I don't even have to see the tape. You just tell me, oh, these dudes from Washington, sign them, get them, draft them. I don't care because I know how they're coached. I know how they play. I know they can find the ball. I know they are, are good active players. And I know they're going to be uh, productive pros. Like a guy like Taylor is sort of similar to, to Cam Bynum. Maybe not the same type of, you know, athleticism or ball skills, but same type of wiry frame, um, gets in the way, you know, just does a good solid job of playing the position. And I really like how he may not have the length, but he plays with length. And that's something that really frustrates, you know, wide receivers. He just kind of gets in the way, you um, You know, almost sort of like Metroid out there on the field. So I just like the way he plays, man. And again, we're talking about fifth round picks (laughs) that that is that I felt like they knocked it out the park. And some teams (laughs) didn't find two defensive players like these two guys in earlier rounds. So Carolina is at at this juncture is still knocking, you know, (laughs) balls out the park.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I I mean, I was really impressed. Um, So now as we wrap up the draft, we'll go into our sixth and seventh round selections. Uh, Deontay Brown, uh, a guy that fell for, um, I I think he fell for notable reasons. I think the weight is an issue. I mean, there were reports of him showing up to Tuscaloosa at 375. Um, I don't know. I I read somewhere that he showed up 350 at the Senior Bowl. I'm not sure. Can you confirm that?
2: Yeah, I have him at 64, 350.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a little that's heavy, but yeah. Um, so I, I guess it makes sense to why, as to why he dropped, but I still think taking a chance is um, not the worst thing in the world. And then um, Shai Smith, the receiver from South Carolina, I'm a pretty big fan of his. I thought, I think he has potential to be there long-term um, or at least compete at kick returner and um, maybe wide receiver four or five. And then uh, they took the long snapper from Alabama, um, Thomas Fletcher, and then, um, to round it out, they took a d- d- defensive tackle from Kentucky, Phil Hoskins. Now, I- I'm pretty familiar with, I-, I would say, two out of four of those guys, Brown and Shy Smith. I'm not going to ask you about the long snapper, but um, what can you tell us about this defensive tackle from Kentucky?
2: It's funny. When you watch Kentucky play, they were outstanding up front. There were three defensive line that you know Kentucky had go in the draft. And it was, you know, you just watched them stop the run. And they were awesome. You know, he, he has, I wrote in my notes, he has potential as a one-gap penetrator. Um, he's quick off the ball. He's active with his hands. And he was really solid. Uh, you go back and watch the, the UGA game, and you know Georgia, you know, was ran, was trying to run on these guys. So they still had homeboy at quarterback, um, uh, Stetson Bennett. And so they really wasn't trying to let Stetson Bennett throw much, uh, but you watch how, Hoskins and, and the rest of his teammates are working up front along that offensive line. So I think he's a good depth player. Um, someone that could be a disruptive player that you want to throw into a rotation. I, I, I see him as someone that's going to make the team, you know, um, oh, wow. I think he's that good a player, you know, because again, it's hard to find big dudes that can move like that. And he's legitimately six five, three fifteen, 315 And with some quickness with them um, knows how to anchor and play the, you know, play the run game. So where he has to get better is just kind of working off double teams. Um, like he'll try to get too cute at times, uh, but you know, sometimes when he, when he's playing upfield and you know, when he's trying to be an aggressive uh, gap filler, that's where he has success.
1: It's good to hear. I, again, I really didn't know much about him. I tried to look up a couple of draft guides. I know yours had something on him, but, uh, um, but I'm, I'm very encouraged to hear that Carolina's, defensive line rotation it was not deep last year they were throwing out undrafted free agents and late round guys so that's again just adding to the competition is very encouraging um but you know undrafted free agency they signed some guys that people might know like patty fisher from northwestern i'm not really too high on him and they signed a punter um but you know i gotta ask you about our my guy david moore because I, i mean you do a really good job covering the small schools particularly the hbcus when I saw him at the senior bowl, I mean, this guy was stonewalling like guys like Boogie Basham and some of the best players there. What are your overall impressions and just what can you tell you know our listeners about David Moore that hasn't already been said?
2: He has really good point of attack strength. And it's, it's funny because he gets down to the senior bowl and, you, you know, they, they have the weigh in first and you see 6'1", 350, you're like, damn, like, you know, that that's not good. But then you see him out there on the field and he's carrying it well. You're like, geez, he looks like he's about 320. Um, And he went back down to like 330 or 320. So that's probably why he ended up undrafted because folks had, well, is he 350 or is he going to be 320? Um, I think he could be a center at the pro level as well. Uh, He he really did a good job blocking out on a perimeter um, against Milt Williams. When you watch the La Tech game from 2019, um he did a good job against ul Monroe he, you know that's another team that has a lot of speed athleticism up front um if you're looking for some uh you know FBS games to, for him to go up against Southern has a really good defensive line that that does a good job in pressuring you know they got a guy thats you know was up for the Buck Buchanan this year had like 10 and a half or 13 sacks in the spring so he he's doing a good job and you know obviously he doesn't have the, the longest arm so that, to me, yields itself to him playing more inside as a center. But, you know, you're not going to move him off the spot. Like, I, I really would like to see him in, in one-on-one with, with someone like Tyler Shelvin. You know, that I, I just think that's like two sumo wrestlers. You know, just like no one's moving nowhere um, because that's how strong and stout at the point of attack they are. And he, and he, he does a good job of finishing, which, you know, which helps because that keeps you in the fight. So despite long not having long arms, Um, despite his weight fluctuating you know he plays he doesn't play sloppy he plays like a like an NFL line he has good NFL I believe athleticism
1: I'm so happy to hear that I'm a big fan of his and I'm I was surprised that he went undrafted and um, yeah kudos to Carolina scouting staff and whoever else had to put in the decent signing bonus to get him to come here because I think he really has a good chance to make the roster. And you know what? I even said on the podcast that I think he has a better chance of making the roster or at least not better chance to make the roster, but I think he has a better chance of starting over Deontay Brown in the future. Now we'll see if that comes to fruition, but um, you know, Emmer, you do such a good job of covering the draft and um, you have such a huge database of these prospects. But uh, before I do let you go, Give us some under the radar names that fans might be interested in, specifically at the quarterback position. Again, um, most of us are a little skeptical of Sam Darnold, as you'd expect. Um, But we've seen guys like Zach Wilson, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, these guys who come out of nowhere, not necessarily nowhere, but we don't expect number one picks um, or number two overall picks are there any like under the radar quarterbacks that you see in this upcoming season who could kind of separate themselves? I know one guy's the guy from uh, Liberty, his name is kind of escaping me, but is there anyone else
2: that kind of stands out to you? Yeah. Ma- Malik Willis is a guy from, from Liberty. Yeah. There um, you go. And if you're looking at someone like, yeah, I was watching Cal and I kind of like how Chase Garbers play. um and then you got Jason Brown, who transferred from St. Francis to South Carolina. And, you know, he, he literally can throw the football a country mile. So expect him to have some some suitors or maybe be a late round pick. But, you know, I think Malik Willis would be a guy. Alabama A&M has a quarterback in a quail glass who, who can play. I just think that he still needs to, to work on getting stronger. You know, Alabama a and him as like six, four but he's really probably 6'2", 205. So he, if he gets up to about, you know, 225 and really thickens out and hardens up his body with the way he's able to throw the football, um, he could be the next HBCU quarterback getting drafted. So those are some players. Levi Lewis is another one I like. You know, he's kind of like P.J. Walker, you know, just a, a point guard, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know just point and shoot type player that, you know, scramble, uh, can run. Um, he's from University of Louisiana, so seen a lot of his game, and you know he just he's a left hander, um, and he's just an excellent football player. And you know, so sometimes you you get those guys, and it's all about which year the league decides that size is not a skill. You know, next year it may be oh we we want six, four, 230 guys. Then the following year it's like oh yeah we got this guy that's five nine and, and can play. You know, so it all depends on which year the league decides they are all in on you know the smallest quarterbacks because those guys I believe can play, especially Levi Lewis, but um, you kind of have that on the roster, I believe already in PJ Walker.
1: Yeah. It's going to be fun watching PJ play the preseason knock on wood. Hopefully
2: there's some preseason games. It wouldn't surprise me to see him look better than Sam Donald. Uh, Cause if we're going back to like, if I'm going back to my scouting grades, like the 2018 class I had, uh, Lamar Jackson is my number one QB uh, with a 90 grade. So I had all, that's an all pro grade. Um, my number two quarterback that year was Sam Darnold with a 79 and a half. You know, I kind of liked the upside. You know, he has some talent. I compared him to Tony Romo. Um, but I go back to the 2017 class and P.J. Walker was my number uh, four or five quarterback um, behind. I had, it was uh Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Kaiser, and then four. It was uh, P.J. Walker with an 85 grade, and so I had a. I, I was a big fan of P.J. Walker coming out of Temple, and um, so I think just from a talent perspective, he's better than Sam Darnold. But that ne- that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get the uh, opportunity to play that to start over Sam Darnold. They're going to give Sam Darnold every opportunity to win the starting job and, and if he doesn't win it he's still going to win the starting job you know because it's an <laughs> investment um and so they got to make right on an investment but keep an eye on pj walker man like full offseason with the preseason knock on wood like you said um and you know he already has some some fans in the building you know with the head coach uh you know bryant was at temple um you know Vintell bryant his you know one of the guys uh, thompson was at temple with them uh so so he has some you know, some people in that building that he could kind of get some run with in the preseason, uh, especially if you're looking at the back end of the roster and guys like him tend to wow in the preseason because of his ability. But it'll make things interesting. I think that competition should make Sam Donald bring out the best in his game. Uh, so it should be a, a, probably a more stable, you know, quarterback position uh, battle this this season. Uh, that's why that's why I love the preseason, because it's going to let these guys really get I'm out with there you. and get those live game reps. I'm totally with you.
1: I also love the preseason. I'm glad you mentioned that That you also, I, I also had uh, Lamar one and Darnold two in 2018. And obviously for, um, I mean, you and I were vindicated on Lamar Jackson, uh, but you know, Darnold has been a little disappointing. And again, he, I, I just feel like to me at least, and this is kind of like a broader conversation about quarterback play in general. And I don't want to keep too much of your time. I'll just end with this is, I do think situation matters in some respects, and I'm not trying to absolve uh, Darnold's performances the past two to three years because they, they weren't good even when he was given um, ideal circumstances. But I I think that I, I do think that situation matters. And I know like, maybe some of the analytics people are going to disagree with me in that respect. But for quarterbacks, it, I think it's really paramount because um, so much of playing quarterback is determined by the situation you're around. And, and I mean, just, let's just do a hypothetical, like would Josh Allen be this good? If you went to New York and Darnold was in Buffalo, like I don't, I don't really know. And that's the thing. So it, it there's just a lot of nuances and things that go into it. And again, I'm not I have in my own opinion is I think Darnold has a lot to prove and I'm not by any means defending him or trying to uh, justify um, the trade or any of that respect. But I just want to put that out there that I think um, situation and surrounding talent is a bigger part of the conversation than people want to admit. You
2: know, that's an excellent point, because another case study running sidecar to Donald in Carolina uh, will be Dwayne Haskins in Pittsburgh, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so you look at getting drafted to a situation where they didn't want you, then the, the you know, constantly looking over your shoulder, uh, changing of the OCs. And now you go to a situation in Pittsburgh where we've seen them have patience with virtually everybody from players to coaches. So if he can't go out there and whatever reps he gets in the preseason – and look like the Haskins that we saw at Ohio State, then you know it's on him. Um, and I think situation does dictate. You can go back to a guy like the Sean Kaiser. If the Sean Kaiser goes back to the Cleveland in the second in his second season, um, when they add a Nick Chubb, when they add a, a Odell Beckham, does his situation change? You know, does his you know is does he get the opportunity to be improved? Uh, so we'll never know. And so I think that's why, you know, watching how Darnold, Haskins and wherever, you know, Drew Locke ends up. because I still think Drew Locke has talent. Um, and I'm glad Denver, as of now, are not pulling the plug because you've got to let these young guys play. Um, and I, I just want to see how that that works out for, for those three guys, because I think, well, you know, uh, Locke has a ton of talent, you know, at receiver and at tight end um, at his disposal it's, it's really up to Locke. Uh, but I'm interested to see how Donald does and Haskins do because the talent, obviously, you just don't not you just don't lose talent and you just don't become you know garbage in the NFL from you know the talent that you had in college. So you're absolutely right about situation and these two situations, I believe, are going to be telling to that to that theory.
1: Yeah, and this is this is pretty much it for Donald. I mean, Josh Rosen, unfortunately for him, he had. He had a chance in Miami after his rookie season. It didn't go work out for him, and I think this is um, not necessarily a make or break. But I'm I'm very given how this organization, this front office, his coaching staff is quick to pull the trigger on quarterbacks who don't perform. Um, it's essentially a one-year trial um, for Darnold. But I I do think that um, the surrounding talent on offense and defense, for that matter, right. Um, should elevate the offense as a whole and hopefully Darnold can do his job but hey emory i really appreciate you coming on and again everyone if you want to go to footballgameplan.com you can still order his draft guide uh tons of information and i think he does a ton of work he puts in the work um 365 days a year and you could also follow him on twitter at fballgameplan at Plan. emory thanks again for joining Appreciate you, Billy.